Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Man, you guys are amazing. What a generous church. I love Joy Church. Woo! Yeah, yeah, it's getting heavy. Come on. We're going to get Cleese some new soccer shoes so she can keep scoring goals. She's still going to keep playing for Joy FC. Don't worry. We're not losing our star player, uh, at least not this season. <laughs> Could everybody stop crying? Because I have to preach, you know. I got Bethany's crying. We got Kelly's crying. We got people crying. Maybe you're not crying anymore, but, you know. Awesome, guys. Well, we're going to jump in today. We are in a series called Three Hots and a Cot, talking about the prison epistles. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these while incarcerated for preaching the gospel. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to continue in Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's got six chapters, and the first three chapters are all about the reality, the impact, the power of the gospel. Uh, I think to best summarize those first three chapters, there are three distinct things that we see that happens when a person gives their life to Jesus. There's freedom, there's forgiveness, and there's family. Number one, with freedom, we are set free from the power of Satan. We were slaves to sin. We were uh, slaves to the devil and obeying uh, his voice, unable to even break free and, and, and live uh, as we're called to live and to live in righteousness. But we are set free by the blood of Jesus at the cross. Can I get an amen? amen. Aren't you grateful that when you respond to Christ and you give him lordship of your life, what, what people think when they're lost in sin and darkness is that when I become a Christian and I begin to obey Jesus as is uh, the, the right and the privilege of a child of God, that I'm going to lose my freedom. And what we find is that we actually gain freedom when we obey Jesus. Because God has your best interest at heart. It'd be like me opening up the manual to the car that was designed by some German engineer or something, and they said, hey, put the right type of gas in there. And I go, man, how, how restrictive. You know, I just want to put, you know, whatever I want to put in there, I'm going to pour uh, tang in here, you know, I don't know. How many of you grew up in the 90s and had tang, you know? Yeah, so it's ministered to some people. That stuff is nasty. It's not even, I don't even know what that is. But No, you, you follow the rules because that's how you get the best out of that thing. So we're set free in Jesus. We are forgiven in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. Not only are we brought out of darkness, but now we're made right with God. When, when God looks at you because of the gospel, when you're in Christ, he doesn't see your failure, your mistakes. He sees Jesus Christ in his perfection. It's a beautiful reality of the gospel. And then third, we are brought into the family of God. That we were in isolation. We were lost and alone in our sin. Now we are brought near and we are made part of the family of God. We join the mission and the purpose of God. There's a place at the family table and there's a place in the family business. I kind of have a little bit of a cold and we partied this week at Atmosphere. So somebody goes, you sound like Marlon Brando from The Godfather. I was like, forget about it. <laughs> but we're part of the family of God. And this is a beautiful reality. One of the best things about being a Christian is that it's not just you and, and God. It's you and your brothers and sisters in the household of faith. Amen? But as we look at Ephesians, those first three chapters are about these three things, freedom and forgiveness and family and about the reality of the gospel. But then the, the uh, chapter four, five and six, the second half of Ephesians is about what it looks like to live in this new family of God. What does it mean to look like and to live as a child of God? And it's different. It, it's meant to look different and be different when you are a Christian from before you were a Christian. Okay. You once were not part of the family of God. Now you are part of the family of God, and it looks different. So that's what we're talking about today. 
As we go into these next two chapters, in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, I want to say that some of the things we, we read are going to be countercultural that to the 21st century American mind. You know, we live in a, a culture that says, uh, I'm going to assess, you know, whether something is true through various lenses and, and ways of looking at truth. And one of the things that I would propose is for us as followers of Jesus, that we build our life, like Jesus said, on the rock of Christ's teaching. You see, there are things that for me, when I read the Bible, I go, man, that's hard to take in or hard to understand but I'm going to build my life on God's word, believing that my mind, my deceitful desires, the things I think and what looks right to me, that's what needs to change, not God's word, right? I need to build my life on God's word. And so as we go into this, uh, as we go into these teachings over the next few weeks in Ephesians 5 and 6, there are going to be some things that might come against or or strike you as like, ooh, that's a little bit of of a tough thing there. Uh, your American sort of version of, of relating to God, that type of a thing. But I would say what we should do is humble ourselves and say, God, let your word change me rather than me try to change God's word. Because when I look at the culture around me, when I look at the society around me, and even what I've come up with in my life, it's broken. I don't look at the world and go, man, everything's going perfect. We've got human relationships figured out. We have justice figured out. We have all these things figured out, peace and righteousness and joy. no. Uh, we don't have that figured out. Humans make a mess of things. Amen? And so God's word actually gives us a path to live and to, and to uh, achieve what God has for us, the peace and the joy of the kingdom of God. So we're going to dive in and look at this. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. So buckle your seatbelt. We're jumping in and we're going to read about 20 verses today in Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 1, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Verse 7 says, Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that as we look into your word, that we would be changed by your word. That we would not seek to form your truth and your word and your commandments to our image but we would rather allow your word to recreate and renew and restore uh, in us that which is broken, that which is bent and twisted, 
that we would align ourselves with you. We would choose to believe what you say in your word. And God, we would hear today with hearing ears. We would receive today with a heart that wants to change, that wants to to do your will and wants to honor you in our lives. And that, God, we would leave today different than we walked in. We would be encouraged where your word encourages us. We would be challenged where your word challenges us. We would be corrected where your word corrects us. We choose to respond to you today, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we jump in here in verse 1, this is the key to this whole passage. Now, Paul is giving us, again, a new reality. This, this, uh, these verses that we're reading and that we just read, these 20 verses here, the audience is important to understand, and it's identified in verse 1. The audience for these verses, the commands for these verses is not just whosoever would hear them, but it is rather those who are part of the family of God, those who are, as he says, dear children of God. And we see here really the interpretive key right in verse 1 for this whole chapter and even the preceding uh, chapters that come. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. When you come to Jesus and you say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm giving you my life. We participate in this beautiful reality that we are now part of the family of God. And we can now call God the Father, our Father, because the blood of Jesus has reconciled us to him. So we were not the family of God. Now we are the family of God. But like any family, there is a way and a will of that family. There is a a way of doing things. There is a paternity, okay, if you will, of that family that is different than where you came from. Now, one of the interesting things about the culture we live in is we are a culture that loves to have our cake and eat it too, both metaphorically and literally, right? We, We want... As a society, we want the results, the benefits of the family of God without the, without the lordship of God the Father. Because make no mistake about it, God is not a sissy la-la daddy. He's not coming just to like, whatever you think, whatever you want to do. No, God actually cares about what we do. He has a way that he says, this is the right way to do things. Now you might already be like, well... Trust me, he has a way. You read the Bible, just read it once, once through, and you'll see, man, God, he kind of is serious about what he thinks is good and bad. Yeah. He has an opinion. Yeah. And, and this is like even a bad word for us in the 21st century, but he's very exclusive. Yeah. Some people are like, well, you know, all roads lead to God. Nope. <laughs> in fact, most roads don't. Yeah. Actually, there's only one road that leads to God. Yeah. And it's through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But what about these other people in the world that have good teachings and stuff? Man, they could be tapping into some wisdom and some great knowledge and some great ideas. There is only one exclusive, very narrow road that Jesus said. It's Jesus Christ. That's the only way to the Father. Okay? And when you come to Christ and you join God's family, He is now your Father. And this now becomes such a meaningful thing to us. Imitate God. Look like your Father. We, in the family of God, in the household of faith, it should be distinguished and noticeable that we have a new paternity, that we are God's children, so we look different, we live different, we talk different, we're different than the children of darkness. The children of light should look different. you got to glow a little bit when you walk around in the world. Come on. Now, you go, well, man, I don't feel like I'm really glowing. I don't really feel like I have the power to do this. No, God's going to give you the power to do it. He's going to give you his spirit to do this, okay? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we're called here, as Paul says, to imitate God in everything we do because we're dear children. You know, when I was 
growing up, about 10 or 11, I'd answer the phone uh, at home. Uh, and, and for those under the age of, uh, you know, 20 or, or 25, we actually had these things called telephones. And they were on the wall and they had a cord, right? Or some of us even remember where sometimes you had a phone and you actually, it was on, it like was that, it wasn't just like a movie prop, it was a real phone. And it had a rotary dial, right? That was, I was, I'm barely old enough to have done that, but I have actually used a rotary phone. And when the phone would ring at home, I'd pick it up and I would say, hello. And they'd go, hi, Kim. (laughs) (coughs) Um, no, this is Jake, you know, like a nine-year-old boy. I'm Jake, you know. (laughs) Then, you know, go through puberty about uh, when I was 18 and I answered the phone. That's a joke. (laughs) Some of you were like, Wow, they're counting. Okay. Uh, answer the phone. I remember when it changed, and I and I and I would say hello, and they go, "Oh, hi, Steve." And then I was like, "That's right. Can you hear my mustache on the phone?" You know. <laughs> answer the phone with facial hair. You know, it was, it was awesome when I wasn't being mistaken for my mom, and instead I was being mistaken for my dad. Come on, any guys relate to this, right? Just. You kind of go through that rite of passage there. And, and uh, the problem, though, is that doesn't stop. And so now I'm getting more and more and more and more like my dad. And I tell dad jokes. And I'm like living out that progressive commercial. Anybody like that? You know, how to stop being like your, your parents. Anybody just so much like your parents, it hurts a little bit, right? And you love your parents. But my goodness, you know, I'm like telling dad jokes. And I, I say the same kind of stuff. And, you know, and. Yeah, I'm just like my dad. Well, this is how it's meant to be with God. We're meant to imitate him, to look like him. It's kind of like being in school. You got somebody smart in front of you and you look over their shoulder and you copy their test answers. Uh, I was homeschooled, so it didn't work really that well for me to do that. There's nobody to copy. But with God, he's saying, look over my shoulder and look at the answers to the test. What would your father in heaven do? Do that. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what the Father tells me to say. He's imitating his Father in heaven, right? We are called to imitate him, and that should show up in our life because we have a new paternity. We are his dear children. We're part of the family of God. Paul goes on in verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We live in a culture that misdefines and and uh, mistakenly identifies love as if you oppose me in anything I want to do, then you don't love me. And that is really almost the complete opposite of biblical love. Biblical love says I'm willing to actually speak truth to you and even put myself in an uncomfortable position because I will even surrender my comfort to do what is best for you. Okay? This is actual real tolerance. You've you got to realize in our culture today, you almost have to look at the exact opposite of everything that's done. If you read George Orwell's book, they talk, in 1984, uh, he talks about what's called newspeak. Anybody familiar with this? And newspeak is taking something and reversing it. And what's interesting is in our culture, we, we talk about the word love and the way that our culture defines it, it almost needs to be completely flipped around because it's newspeak. It's so deceptive. It says, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. Actually, to disagree with someone often shows you love them more than the person who's agreeing with them out of selfishness to let somebody go to a Christless eternity or ruin their life without speaking truth to them. And Christians, we at least have to be smart enough to go, let me identify love and define love as the Bible identifies it. And what does it actually mean to live a life filled with love? 
to never oppose or say anything to anyone or act like everything that anyone ever does is perfect for them and it'll lead to a perfect eternity. Actually, we know that's not correct. So why would we live in lies? To live a life filled with love, what do we need to do? The scripture tells us we need to live like Jesus. We need to follow the example. And then Paul even spells it out even clearer for us. He says, what did he do? He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Jesus says there is no greater love than this than to lay down your life for a friend. It is to lay our life down for each other. God's kind of love, agape love, it puts other people first even to your own detriment even to your own hurt. And sin is incompatible with this kind of love. And I'll tell you why. Because sin takes advantage of another person. Sin says my lust is more important than your human dignity. I'm willing to use your body or I'm willing to use an image of you online or I'm willing to do something that degrades your humanity and you go, well, they, want, they, they consented to it. That doesn't make it right for you. Anything that demeans the dignity or the image bearer, uh, the dignity of an image bearer of God is sin and it takes advantage of someone and you're putting your desires, your pleasure, your lust, your greed ahead of someone else. If I, put, if I say, look, it's, I, I'm going I'm to prosper. I'm going I'm to have more and more and more money, uh, but it's to the detriment of another person, right? That I'm taking advantage of them. That is incompatible with love. Yeah. And here's the reality. All of us want to be treated with love. Jesus said, this is the, the, what we call the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We all want to receive justice. We all want to receive uh, love from other people. But when it comes to our own desires, we often say, oops, I made a mistake. But when somebody else did it, they meant, they meant to do it, right? This is the problem that God has to deal with in the world, this sin problem. And the family of God, we are meant to stop being part of the problem and start being part of the solution and begin to lay our lives down and say, I'm here to love you like Christ loved me, to give myself as a sacrifice. And what does that do? It lifts up a pleasing aroma to God. So many Christians are concerned with how their worship is to God. Oh, I'm going to come and sing songs, and I want to just love God so much. And God says, what about my kids? What about your brothers and sisters? Because how can you say, John the Apostle says this, how can you say you love God but hate your brother? If I find in myself hate for my brother or my sister or sin that is oppressing someone else or sin that is degrading someone else or I'm putting myself first above another person, I'm not living in the love of God. Yeah. And I'm not worshiping God. There's not a pleasing aroma to God. It's why the Old Testament prophets like said, God's saying to them, get rid of your festivals and your shows. I don't need your noise. Let justice roll yeah. like a river. Right. Love your brother, love your sister. Come on, somebody. And so Paul then spells this out. He says, okay, if we're to live a life filled with love, that's how we imitate God. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to live a life filled with love. What does a life not filled with love look like? And this is what he says. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. May God forgive us in the American church because we have made peace with sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And I would pray that today as a congregation, we with great seriousness would say, please God, root it out of us. 
Do we need the grace of God? Are we going to fail and make mistakes? Absolutely. How many of you, like me, say, I absolutely depend upon the grace of God? But it's one thing to say, I fall short of Christ and I need his grace and mercy. And another to try to change the standard and say, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. God's word says it matters. Verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Idolatry means taking something, a love, an object of worship, whether it's lust or greed. Paul uses greed as an example here. Taking that, that idol and placing it in the place that God is meant to occupy. An idol is anything in our life that we place in the place on the throne that God is meant to occupy. So if money is my God and, and, I'm, and I'm just serving money for money's sake, Scripture says it's the root of all evil. If I'm just seeking pleasure through sex or through uh, drugs or whatever it may be in life, there's so many different things, and we'll talk about this in a minute. I'm putting an idol, and what it says here in the Scripture is that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now listen to this. When you use this word inherit is a familial term. I know that in our wills and trusts and things, we can write other people and they can become in inheritors. But, but traditionally, this word to inherit means you're part of a family. That by the, the, the fact that you belong to a certain line, that you're now part of the inheritance. And that's the way that Paul's using this here. He's saying that to be an inheritor of the kingdom of God, you must be part of God's family and that's what qualifies you to be into this inheritance and receive the, the, the kingdom of God. We, we see another part of scripture that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As a, as a culture and every human, we want these things. The righteousness is right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. And when we are right with God and right with the people around us, there is peace. And out of that place of peace comes great joy. And this is what our hearts cry for. But it starts with righteousness, okay? And, and this is a question that I wrote down, and I think this is a great spiritual formation question. Are you the type of person that would even enjoy heaven if you were to be there or to get there? Are you the type of person that would enjoy heaven? Because if all of your desires and your joy are rooted in taking advantage of other people, you would hate it there. I'm going to talk about this because I want us to get this point. If you don't get anything else out of today, I hope you get this. Where God is, there is no taking advantage of another person. There is no ability to say, well, I'm going to use this person's body for my own pleasure. I get off on this, so I'll demean you and degrade your image. God is not okay with that. Men, if you degrade or demean one of the daughters of God, you incur his anger. In the same way that if you were ever to come to one of my children and try to degrade or demean them, you will not meet a gentle shepherd, you will meet a German shepherd. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now, you come to my house in the middle of the night to come for my children, we will not be having a theological discussion. You hear what I'm saying? How many men think there's actually something to respect about that? If we had more real men protecting the innocent and the vulnerable, we wouldn't live in such a crap hole of a country. And men of God need to rise up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually going to stand up for what's right and protect the vulnerable and the innocent. But here's this thing, guys, if we're participating in the sex trafficking trade because we can't stop looking at all the naked stuff online, then we're just as guilty. Is this okay? Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. 
Just so you know, you didn't come to a church that won't preach God's word. We, we preach God's word. We believe God's word. We're challenged by it. And that's why we have a great church. That's why we have a blessed church. That's why this is a church worth going to. Because we, you, here are people that love God and say, I need to change. Not curse the darkness and all those people, the Republicans, the Democrats, the people in Springfield, the people in Eugene. No, my heart is wicked and needs to be saved by Jesus and transformed and changed. If, you're, if you get off on oppressing people, if you're a racist and you think that somebody's the color of their skin rather than the content of their character is how you judge someone, then you're going to hate heaven. Because when you get there, it's going to be a multicultural international party. Hello, somebody. It's going to be good. The only thing, only thing I know about heaven, three things. One, we're going to be able to fly. Two, be able to turn invisible. Three, the wedding feast of the lamb is Italian food. That's all I know. That's all I know. Although I've been challenged by that recently because I've had some pretty amazing Korean food, uh, Thai food, Mexican food. So maybe it'll just be all that. But when you get there, I'll tell you what it's not going to be. It's not going to be a bunch of of uh, white people or black people or just Mexicans or just Chinese. It's going to be all God's children with all the beautiful colors. Come on. All the beautiful cultures. It's going to not be just one socioeconomic class. It's not going to just be the people that voted the way you voted in the last election. It's not going to just be, come on somebody. It's going to be all of us. And when you get there to heaven, it's not going to be how to, if you're, all of your joy and fulfillment in life is taking advantage of other people you're going to hate it there. But if instead you say, you know what, my actual fulfillment is in my Father in heaven and being part of this family and I'm laying my life down and I want to love people, you're going to love heaven. You're going to love it. Paul goes on in verse 6. I'm running out of time here. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Our culture says, well, God just wants me to be happy. You even hear this kind of garbage preached in churches. You know, well, it's okay. You're just, you know, living with somebody you're not married to, having sex. That's totally fine. No, it's not. It's called fornication. It's a sin. It's the, and, it, and it's a sin. Like a guy who's a Christian who you don't know who's on porn, that's a sin. Uh, hitting the bottle too hard and drunkenness, that's a sin. Like we all have tasted of sin. Come on. We all taste of it quite a lot. Okay? So there's not casting judgment at a particular type of sin. But the reality is sin exists and it separates us from God. And God doesn't just ignore it and look the other way. It had to get dealt with. It gets dealt with by the blood of Jesus at the cross. And so we have to get our minds right and say, you know what? I'm not going to be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. If that's you and your own heart and mind has been excusing sin, you're on the wrong side. Change. Make a choice. Repent. The word repent means metanoia. It's metanoia. Change your mind. Just say, I was, I was thinking this way. I was going this way. And I'm going like, to change. I'm going to ask Jesus to change my mind so I can see things the right way. For the anger of God will fall on those who disobey. Listen, God's love, his holy, perfect love demands justice. When the great evils that take place in our world, it's easy for us to abstract ourselves from them and go, well, I'm not the one who kidnapped kids put them into sex trafficking. I'm not, I've never murdered somebody. I've never, whatever, fill in the blanks. And we can all abstract ourselves and distance ourselves from wickedness, but we have all participated. Every one of us has poured evil and death and suffering into the world, into that pool of wickedness. And God's love does not allow him to look the other way. So God will bring justice for every victim. There is, there is no way for God to be 
perfectly loving and holy if there is not a penalty for sin. Now let me tell you the best part of the story. God manifests himself in two ways in the story of redemption. He manifests as a lamb and he manifests as a lion. The lamb, the spotless lamb of God, the pure innocent lamb, Jesus, was sacrificed on a cross and all of God's wrath and justice was poured out on the perfect lamb. And if you'll humble yourself and put your, and put your face down at the foot of the cross and let the blood of the lamb cleanse you, then God's wrath was satisfied. But if you don't, then you get to meet Aslan, the lion, the lion of Judah. And let me just tell you, the lion of God has teeth and a roar that will shake your bones. And for every demonic force and power and every person that disobeys God and has said, you know what, I'm going to abuse other people and oppress other people. And I'm going to be a racist and I'm going to oppress the poor. And I'm going to let injustice go out in the world. And I'm going to demean the, the image of God and other people and put my own selfish desires and lusts and greed first. Then you will meet the lion of God. And there will not be uh, satisfaction for your sins from the cross if you don't humble yourself at the cross of Jesus Christ. So you get to decide, do you meet Jesus the lamb or do you meet Jesus the lion? I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm sick and I need a physician. And I'm so grateful that I know Jesus the Lamb. The Lamb of God was slain. Worthy is the Lamb to wash us of our sins and to make us right with God. But listen, just because you know the Lamb doesn't mean the line doesn't exist. And God can't be loving if he doesn't pay back the injustice. Because I want you to think about it. Maybe you have not suffered in your life that great injustice, but when you talk to Christians in Eastern Europe or people that went through Nazi Germany and those types of things, they never had justice on planet Earth during their lifetimes. Throughout history, there, have, there has been more cultures and civilizations where justice was never done, where justice never took place on this side of eternity. And God cannot be good if he doesn't satisfy that debt and that payment. There is a lion. <laughs> and, and to me, that's a beautiful thing. Because I, I, I love the fact that God is perfectly just, but his mercy and his love is expressed to us through the cross. We long for that. So verse 7, Paul goes on, don't participate in these things. Don't be part of the darkness. You're part of the light. We get to be part of the solution, not the problem. This is an intense message. Do you agree? It's intense. But it's also beautiful. Because when you choose Jesus and you walk with God, you get to now be participating in the cosmic remodeling project of bringing the light in and bringing God's love in and helping people and loving people. And we get to walk in the light. We get to expose the deeds of darkness and you're on, you're on the good side. He goes on to verse 15. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. In verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You see, wisdom says... I recognize that my desires and my lust and greed and these things pull me away from God, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit myself to God's word. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is trusting in God's truth above my own thoughts or even above the voices of the culture around me. There are a lot of people that will cheer you on on your way to hell. Don't listen to those voices. There will be people that will, you're so brave. You're amazing. You're incredible. No, you're on your way to an eternity without Christ. 
So hear the voice of somebody who has maybe an, a worse bedside manner but loves you a lot more. That will say, all of us deserve hell. All of us deserve to be separated from God because of our sin. Choose Jesus. Choose life. Amen? Amen. Well, Pastor Jake, you seem like you're kind of mean and rude. Well, no, I actually love you enough to tell you the truth. Uh, and a lot of people here are the same exact way. And I can work on my, my manner, and I, and I do want to be kind and, and compassionate as, as much as I possibly can, but I will tell you the truth. And so wisdom is saying, I'm going to trust God's word, God's truth about life rather than my own thoughts and desires. Lastly, verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and spiritual songs, making music in your hearts, and give thanks to everything, for everything, to God the Father. When it says don't be drunk with wine, Paul's speaking about alcohol. It's an escape from reality, you know, something we put in our life to deal with pain, whatever that, that looks like. But you could actually replace that word wine with whatever intoxicates you apart from God. So don't be drunk with pornography. Don't be drunk with greed. Don't be drunk with control and power. Don't be drunk with manipulation. Like don't fill your life. Don't be intoxicated with something that clouds your vision and stops you from looking into the eyes of fire and looking into what God is, is trying to speak to you here. And then instead of that, instead of obfuscating reality with alcohol or anything that changes your consciousness so you can't hear and see what God is saying to you, instead let your life be satisfied, be filled, and keep being filled by the Holy Spirit. And then what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit is we are able to enter into this place of thankfulness. Thankfulness is only possible when your soul has been reoriented and realigned with proper desires according to what God's made you for so that you begin to be able to be thankful for my beautiful wife as we live and age and grow together. So it doesn't need to be, I need every woman. No, I'm, I'm excited and happy about this woman that I love covenantally in marriage. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the amount of money that I have and I'm not all jealous and bent out of shape that somebody lives in a nicer neighborhood than me. I, I'm thankful for the health that I have and I'm not living in some kind of panic and fear. Does that make sense? Like my thankfulness is I'm oriented correctly with God and I'm able to enjoy the life that I actually have and that I actually live. So don't be drunk with, you fill in the blank, but you fill with the Holy Spirit. A couple of takeaways today and we'll go beat all the other churches to the best restaurants. I've been saving that joke for a couple weeks. I haven't used it in a long time. A couple of takeaways. Obedience is a privilege of paternity. It is not my obligation to obey God. It is a privilege because he's my father and I am an inheritor of his kingdom. There's a lot of people that have pretty rotten parents and rotten family life that I think would be pretty dang excited to get adopted by Bethany and I as our rightful children and get to come and eat Bethany's cooking and, uh, and not have to eat mine, you know. <laughs> And uh, get to be part of the Schmelzer family inheritance and, you know, get to be part of the, the laughter and the love and the joy of our household. And, and I'm sure a lot of people would be excited to be adopted into our family. And maybe a lot of people would be excited to be adopted into your family if you have a, a good family. And here's the reality. The Schmelzer kids, they're not obligated. They are privileged. They are privileged to obey. They are privileged to live out the values that we have. This is a new frame for us as Christians. I have to obey God. No, I get to obey God. I love to obey God because I love the inheritance. 
I love the, the fruit of life that comes out. The quality of life that comes out of obeying God is always for your good. Do you know that when you choose not to sin and instead to obey God, God doesn't get better than he already was, but you do. When you pray, God doesn't get more, he doesn't become more glorious. He doesn't get more godly, but you do. When, when I go to church and I participate in community and I serve and I love people, God doesn't become more loving, but you do. I, I hope you're getting this today. I'm going to shut up because I know we're done, but I hope you're getting this. It is a privilege of paternity, not an obligation. In, in light of that, sin is incompatible with a life of love. Sin demeans other people, puts other people down, puts your, uh, yourself first. Nope, you can't be a Christian and, 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 and act like sin, let's just excuse it, it doesn't matter. It always matters. And, and God is dealing with it in our life and he's working in us this fruit of repentance. Amen? And lastly, the heavenly inheritance is for children of the light and children of the darkness would hate it. If your joy and fulfillment and satisfaction is in abusing people, taking advantage of people, harming people, and getting off on demeaning other people, then you will hate heaven. And guess what? You won't even have to hate it because you won't be there. So the inheritance is for children of the light. And the new creation and the new reality of what God is working in us is beautiful, it is glorious, it is incredible, and it's a privilege of paternity. It's a privilege of being part of God's family and receiving the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? We're going to finish up. What I want to do today is I want to tell you that God loves you so much. I know this is an intense message today, and maybe you're kind of coming to church and you're like seeking God or you're just checking out church and, and see what's going on. But I want to let you know that your Father in heaven loves you so much. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins, for my sins. And every one of us has to come to the foot of the cross and say, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And if you're here today and you want to be part of God's family and you want to become a child of the light and not a child of the darkness, you want to get out of those deeds of darkness and you want to get out of the, the futility of life without God, I want to invite you to just lift up your hand I'm, I'm not going to call you out. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's awesome. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. That's awesome. We're just going to pray together. Anybody else? Come on. It's so cool to see people choosing Jesus today. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. We'll all pray it together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I give you my life, all the good and all the bad. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for shedding your blood to pay for my sin and to make me right with God. Teach me how to love my brothers and sisters and be part of your family. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.